Welcome to 20 Not Something, the podcast for 20-somethings who haven't quite figured out what their something is yet. Each week, I'll be speaking to a different guest about their experiences of this messy decade to reassure you that everything turns out all right in the end. Because doing something in your 20s can actually mean doing anything that makes you happy. This series of 20 Not Something is sponsored by Swirls and Curls, your go-to luxury baked goods brand. Any of you who know me well will understand my infatuation with cakes and cookies. But what's even more impressive is when a brand can deliver top quality first class products which still taste fresh and delicious with a warm home-baked touch. Swirls and Curls is a small business run by the lovely Kirsty, and her beautifully decorated cakes and sugar cookies are the perfect gift for a partner, friend, family member, or for just treating yourself. They are incredible value for money, look fantastic, and taste even better. Head over to Swirls and Curls on Instagram to feast your eyes and stomachs on their wide range of products, and go and spoil yourselves and your loved ones this month with some truly tasty treats. Today I am joined by chef, youth community worker and food fanatic Adam Pennell. Adam's 20s were spent cooking, job hopping, teaching, travelling, eating, partying and exploring. He spent the early parts of the decade dedicated to working with children, from doing kids' birthday parties at a bowling alley to getting a part-time job in a youth club which led him to a full-time job in a school. Adam quickly found himself becoming a quote-unquote adult, buying a house with his girlfriend at the time and working his way up to head of year before deciding to go to uni to complete a professional youth work qualification. However, after a few years, Adam realised that he wasn't done with the hedonistic, party fueled lifestyle yet and yearned to travel and explore more of the world. Realising that himself and his partner at the time wanted different things, they separated, and shortly afterwards, Adam got made redundant. Taking this redundancy as an opportunity, he used this time to go travelling around India and shortly afterwards, Southeast Asia. Travelling ignited in Adam a passion for adventure, not only in going to different places and having new relationships, but in his cooking as well, discovering new flavours and concoctions he'd never tried before. Upon returning to the UK, Adam set up his Shropshire Lad food blog and gained a new full-time youth work role. As if the clouds aligned, his return to the UK also brought back into his life his previous partner, now with a child of her own, and the two of them reignited their spark and started their own family, now both fully on the same page. Adam is now a youth and community worker turned food blogger, having also made television appearances on Escapes the Country and Channel 4's Crazy Delicious. A positive bundle of energy and enthusiasm, Adam's thirst for life is almost as infectious as his delicious dishes on whoever is lucky enough to try them. His 20s just goes to show that time really is the best healer and that it always pays off to follow your gut. Adam, welcome to 20 Not Something. Hey, how's it going? What an intro. Wow, I feel like it should be handing me a uh, a red folder, like this is your life or something. <laughs> Congratulations, you made it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm going to kick things off by asking you the same question I ask everyone. Um, beginning at the beginning... When you were looking into your 20s decade, can you remember what the one thing you wanted the most was? I think like lots of young people, I wanted to sort of be able to just do everything that was going on at the time. You know, I, I really am very social. I love to go and party. And as I sort of, you know, I, 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 as you mentioned, I started off working in a bowling alley. It was that I'd actually moved to Brighton because um, some friend, well, my, one of my best mates was at uni there. 
And I went there for the weekend and was like, I mean, I'm from Telford in Shropshire, which is like, there's not really much of a party scene up here, you know? So to go down to Brighton, I was just like, whoa, this place is nuts. Like, I want to stay here. And so I was, I kind of, all I wanted to do then once I was there, there was to be able to be involved in everything. And I quickly realized that like, you need money for that, you know, mm-hmm. and it, at 19 with no real qualifications or anything, it was, it was, it was difficult. So yeah, I was just looking for, I guess I was looking for ways to sort of just have fun really. And, and to fuel my, my um, desire to have fun. Mm. Well, cause you said, you know, you mentioned um, that you met up with your friend who was at uni, um, but then you didn't sort of go into uni until a bit later on, um, slightly later than the norm, I guess. Um, are you yeah. glad that you came to study sort of later? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I would not have left university with a degree. I'd have just been in a lot of debt. And I'd probably a lot of trouble. I think <laughs> I was I, I was like twenty four or twenty five. I think when I when I uh, enrolled in my degree, and it was actually after I'd realised that I wanted a career working with young people. You know, that, and and if I'd a lot, I think I think a lot of young people make the mistake of feeling like they need to just get you know go to university at eighteen, nineteen, mm-hmm. and you haven't really got a clue what you want to do. Then you know you haven't had any life experiences. You don't. You know, I mean, some people, don't get me wrong, some people know they want to be a doctor or whatever from whatever age. But I think if you don't really, really know, it's probably not a good time to go, personally. Mm. Um, I know lots of people who've gone and got degrees and just don't use them in the end, you know. And I happen oh. to be using them right now as a professional, you know. But yeah. that's only because I would never have chosen that degree at 18 or 19. So, mm. And it taught me an awful lot, actually, um, because it's quite a social degree. Um, it's about politics and life in general that I, I was completely oblivious to and now is integral really to sort of not only my profession but also to, to me as a person, to me, my understanding of what's going on around yeah. us really. Yeah, it's so true. I think, I mean, myself included, I probably didn't, I mean, I definitely didn't need the degree that I got to be doing what I am now. Um, and sure. it must have sort of been almost more rewarding to go into it knowing that that was exactly the degree that you wanted to do to get to where you wanted to be. Um, what was it about working with kids that you enjoyed so much or enjoy still? Um, I guess it's varied, you know, uh, I like the, I, I, I sort of, I, I've always got about this thing in me that I like to help people generally. Um, you know, I, I get a little bit of a buzz off it. I, I, I don't know what it is, but I do like to help people. I will go out of my way generally. if People come to me for help to try and help them. And depending on what it is, of course, Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of the time I will and uh, I guess yeah I I mean it started off so I, I didn't know I wanted to work with kids at all I just got basically from like 15 16 I was working in a bowling alley up in, in Telford in Shropshire where I'm from uh, and so I had this kind of that was the experience my work experience I had in my belt that and, and waiting on which I didn't particularly enjoy I, I where I worked I did enjoy because all my mates worked there but in like Going down to Brighton, I wouldn't want to go and work in a in a restaurant or a hotel, particularly mm. um, that front of house. At that point, I wasn't really, you know, I, I'd always been in, interested in cooking, but it wasn't not, not like it is now. And um, yeah, so I, I was like, I made a beeline for the bowling alley, really, because I just thought, well, I know what I'm doing there, and um, mm. I can sit, probably get a job, and I, and I did get the job, and I was, but I was part to doing like kids' birthday parties and stuff there. So, and I was getting lots of good feedback from the parents. And I kind of buzzed off that as well. Um, mm. But they were younger kids I'm used to working with. And I thought I kind of like to work with older ones. Um, so when I came back to Telford, um, my old man was a, was a youth worker as well, believe it or not. So because a lot of people don't even know about the profession. People, even now people talk to me about my job. And I'm like, what, you're a professional? It's a professional job? 
professional qualification yet it is and i knew about that because my dad was one and so he said oh and at the time there was loads and loads of youth clubs about still because we hadn't been decimated by cuts and you know the tories fucking everything up excuse my french um <laughs> but at the time there was loads and loads of work so i was like okay and there was a there was a part-time unqualified um youth work position up the road so my dad was like, i want you to apply for that you've got you can just use the experience of working in the bowling alley and then you can sort of build on that. Mm. So I did that, got that job. And then a couple of weeks later, my friend's mom was the, um, the Senko, the special educational needs coordinator uh, in a school over in Wolverhampton. And she was after sort of young male role models of my, my, myself and my friend, both looking for jobs. So she was like, Oh, you two should apply. So we applied for that. So got that job. So that was sort of teaching assistant job. Then I moved up to being a a mentor. And then before I knew it, within a few years, I was ahead of year and I kind of like hit the top of, and it was a, I was a, it was a very difficult school I worked in where the kids, you know, if you were often like a head of year role would be like, um, an additional sort of, um, responsibility on top of like a geography or a history teacher's role. Um, but the, the the kids were very complex. There's a lot of you know holistic issues there, and so they had uh, a non-teaching uh, head of year team, uh, and so that's where I started, started to realise that I didn't. I mean, I I, I thought I kind of hit the top of where I could be without being a teacher in a school because because the, the whole pay scale thing is a bit different, you know. Mm. Um, and so I was like, right, okay, well I can't do. I, I don't. I could either train to be a teacher but there's nothing I want to teach. There's no subject that interests me enough to, to go and do that. Um, so why don't I look at the, the professional youth work route? And that's sort of when mm. I decided to, to go and do that degree. So I was able to go down to part-time. Um, and st- so I was still working like two days a week in the school. Um, and then could the other days I was at university basically and I did that for the last three years of mm. working at the school before I became qualified. Mm. So, yeah. And- you mentioned um, that you got made redundant. Was that from that school? Yeah. So just after I was qualified, they were making some cuts to staffing, uh, and I put well, I put myself forward actually for voluntary redundancy because I kind of knew. Well, I got this degree now, and there were still jobs about at that point, um, and that's I spotted a job I kind of liked, uh, and so but also wanted to go travelling, and there was a bit of a a package attached to to leaving obviously so so i put myself forward and got the voluntary redundancy uh and i planned to go to india for like six months or something and applied for this job just before i left and and actually got the job so i ended up only doing six weeks because i had to come back mm. and start working for that role so mm. yeah um but then i didn't last very long i mean that, that that service only lasted 18 months before it was completely decimated by cuts as well and i was wow. back to stage one again of being being made redundant so that's when i went away and traveled for longer because yeah. um, in your note it was almost like you you know took full advantage of being made redundant which is such a positive way of looking at it i just wondered whether at the time you had that positivity or whether that was something that you'd gained retrospectively because obviously a big decision for you to go traveling and i mean up to a lot of had a big impact on your life yeah sure i mean it's been always been something i wanted to wanted to do but never had the funding you know and and Mm. it's always 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 about money really Mm. um and i had a bit of debt to clear and whatever and so you know i was really lucky the way that i don't even know if i should have ended up getting the amount of redundancy that i did but because i worked for a council um with the school um 
And then by the time I finished the, the role, because even though you finish in mid-July, you're on roll to the end of August, like through the summer holidays. Mm-hmm. And then I started my new job, like the back end of September. Uh, and so because I hadn't actually fully left for more than 30 days, it meant that my years of service carried over. So when I le- when I did 18 months in this other job, I actually ended up getting like 10 years redundancy still. I don't know how nice. it all works, but I got really, really lucky with that and meant that I was able to go travel. So I got a nice lump sum. Mm. When I finished the job, I'd only been in for 18 months and that meant I was just like, right, okay, here we go. I'll clear my debts and, and get out there. And I got, I got a good, in fact, the very same guy I had mentioned to you who um, got the job with me at the same time when my friend's mom sort of employed us. By this point, he had moved to Vietnam with his now wife and kids and they set up their own school out there and wow. they're absolutely thriving. And so I was desperate to get out to see him as one of my best mates. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the first place I flew to was Vietnam and spent a month with him and his family and just knocking around sort of where they live in Da Nang. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so see, but seeing other people doing those sorts of things and just like inspires you to, to want to get out and do it yourself, you know? Mm. Uh, and so it was, it was like my ticket out of here, if you like. <laughs> I also love in your note it honestly read a bit like a movie with the um the sort of clouds aligning at the end and obviously splitting up with your partner at the time which I can only imagine must have been really really tough um and I just wanted to raise it because I think in our 20s we it's a time of our lives when everybody wants different things at different times um and obviously you were ready to go out into the world and start explore you weren't ready to settle down yet and obviously that was sort of a contradiction for what she wanted um and I just I just wanted to ask you like how did you deal with that at the time because I think it is really tough when like love isn't enough mostly really (laughs) I was I mean that that era of my life was was a bit of a blur to be quite honest with you and like as I said to you we're back together now and we sort of sit and She'll tell me what happened, but I don't remember that much of it. Really? <laughs> I'll be completely honest with you, yeah, because I was just in a bit of a state, you know. So, um, I was, she'd say, I, you know, I'd go out on Friday and roll back in Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening, you know, and then mm. be off to work again. And it's all just a bit of a blur and we were just, yeah, partying hard and not really getting on because of that. Because she, she enjoys a party as much as the next person, but I think she got a bit fed up with it and obviously wanted to settle down and stuff. And all I was thinking was, right, I want to go and, you know, just want to party more. I want to go and see the world. I wasn't really happy with just sort of plodding along. So, yeah, I think it probably needed to happen um, when it did. Uh, and it was tough and there was a house involved and stuff. And we didn't speak for like, it's really strange. We didn't speak for six years, like nothing. It was wow. quite a nasty breakup at the time. Um, and obviously she went off and got married and had Willow now, who's now my stepdaughter. And, um, you know, I went off, I had another relationship as well in that time. Um, and then kind of, I'd heard that her relationship had ended with this guy, with her husband. And um, when mine, my relationship came to an end, we happened to just be a friend's, a mutual friend's party one night and sort of, yeah, got, got it back on. <laughs> it's exactly. honestly something like Richard Curtis would have written like in a rom-com or something <laughs> you just sort of find yourselves again it must be so like it's such a lovely story and I know that you know you can look back at the past with sort of rose-tinted glasses and stuff like that it's like oh it was all meant to be um but I can imagine at the time it you know you'd never know what the future's going to hold did you okay, did you ever cool. think when when that relationship ended that there was a future for you both or what did that come no, completely out of the blue not at all not really? at all. Neither of us did, no. no wow. Definitely not. <laughs> I wasn't even sure I'd ever speak to her again, to be fair. Like, uh, you know, it's a long time, isn't it? Five, six years. Yeah. A lot went on in that time. So, yeah, it's strange how things pan out, but yeah. 
Mm, so. I love it. Um, so obviously traveling then, I think there's a lot of talk around the sort of cliche of finding yourself, um, yeah. but it really does seem like, especially in, in your note to me, it really did seem like it did ignite something in you, the traveling and obviously spurred you on to be doing what you're doing now. Um, can you remember like looking back, was there a pivotal moment where you were like, yes, this is, this feels really fucking good. And this, I'm so glad that I'm here. Uh, no, not really. I wouldn't say there's a pivotal moment. It's kind of all just sort of come about kind of strange. I mean, I came back from traveling and shortly after split up with the girl who I, I got with in between. Um, she came with me, probably shouldn't have. We probably should have gone separate. I should have just gone on my own, really. And I think I maybe resented her a little bit. For be- not, it wasn't her fault at all, but I don't know. It was just didn't feel right, really. And we got back and quite quickly split up. Uh, and I was still looking for work when we got back. So I hadn't actually got a job to come back to. Uh, so I was doing bits and pieces here and there for different people, landscaping and God knows all sorts of bits and pieces uh, mm-hmm. until the role I'm in now came up, which was almost a year after I got back, I think. Or was it six, mo- uh, six months after I got back? Um, and yeah, once I got that, I started to feel like, oh, okay, there is, you know, th- this feels, I've kind of got that out of my system. Because for a long time, I was thinking I might go back to, to Vietnam, um, you know, because, you know, my friends are doing really well over there. There's, there was, you know, there's a lot of work in education there. It's kind of what I know. But also I was seeing lots of people having a stab at food, you know, doing, because mm. over there, you have, it's not the same kind of regulations and things that you have to worry about here. You know, you can kind of almost just sort of set up and start. And there was a lot of like, expats doing their own thing over there. And it sort of made me think, ah, oh, maybe I want to do something with food. But never really got off my backside and did it. Um, and then shortly after I got back, was after, it was only maybe six weeks between me splitting up with my ex and then meeting Tess again. That, um, that, that was kind of quite a short, um, short window of being single, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I... Yeah, so I got this job, and then as soon as I started the job, or near, near like first year or so, my friend then said to me, um, "Oh, you know, you're back uh, making films. Do you want to start making some cooking videos?" Because I love because I've always been mad about cooking, and you know, whenever we have meetups or whatever, it always be me cooking. And he was like, "I love your food," so we just started this YouTube channel um, just for a bit of fun, really. No, it wasn't like, "Oh, I'm going to try and make a career out of food." That was never mm-hmm. the intention. It was just a bit of fun. And yeah, and Shropshire Lab was born, and there we are. Really, it just sort mm. of one thing led to another, and as soon as that you know started, um, it just sort of snowballed, and, and now I'm kind of like feels like I've got two full time jobs to be honest. Yeah, right. <laughs> I can imagine it must be pretty full on, and you forage as well, don't you? Like go into the a little bit, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't call myself a foraging expert, um, mm. but I know a bit. I know enough to get by, you know, and, and yeah. find a few bits. And, and we've got some great spots around here for stuff. So I think. I wouldn't know the in-depths of, you know, I couldn't just go and tell you where every mushroom and toadstool out there, but mm. I, there's a few things that I can identify that I go out and pick quite regularly. Yeah. yeah. I'd say that. Yeah. Cause on your yeah. website, it says that you were quite like inspired by your dad growing up as he was a good chef as well. Um, That's right. And I'm curious, did you ever, did you ever want to be a chef at any point? Yeah, I did. Um, interesting enough, I, I went for a job before I moved down to Brighton um, and well, something happened. I went for a job as a chef, as like a trainee chef. And I think my car broke down or something and I couldn't get to the interview and they were really horrible. and just like, well, if you can't get here, then 
that's your chance kind of over. Really? So I left that, didn't think about it. But then, so when I broke up with um, Tess uh, the first time, I moved in with a friend, my good friend, one of my best mates now, is a guy called Stuart who owns a hotel down the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's got two rosettes. Uh, they've held them for like 20 years. It's an amazing restaurant. And um, he, we, we got chatting in the pub one night. I'd never met him before, but we were both <laughs> fanatical about food. Got talking. He said, we had a few beers. He said, come back for a few more beers. And then he said, oh, you need somewhere to live? Because I'd literally just broken up with her that, that week. And he said, come and move in here. So I ended up lodging with him for quite a few years. But I mm-hmm. saw just how hard he worked and like literally throwing 80, 90 hours a week at it every single week, missing out on all the social stuff that I was really keen on doing. I was just mm-hmm. like, there's no way I'm going to become a chef. Just absolutely no way because the, the hours are awful. But at that point, I mean, I, I guess become doing what I do now wasn't really an option. It wasn't something, you know, you couldn't make a, a living from not actually, you had to be a chef or not be a chef. You couldn't do, you know, make money from Instagram and from YouTube and, and from doing pop ups. And, you know, it wasn't the same kind of um, climate as we're in now. Mm. And so when I, when this accidentally sort of started with, from doing the YouTube channel was the perfect time really for the way that sort of the world's, I guess was changing with food and, and blogging and everything sort of booming now has, has yeah. worked in my favor really. And it's meant that it's worked well because I've still made, managed to maintain a social life. I kind of build a lot of my, when, when we're allowed to do events anyway, I build a lot of my events around it being very social and fun. So it doesn't necessarily feel like work. Whereas if I was stuck in the back of a stuffy kitchen, it definitely mm. would, you know? Yeah. I so completely agree with that. Yeah, yeah. And it's almost as if, I know I said it in the intro, but the clouds sort of did align for you and everything that seems to sort of happened over the past 10 years definitely happened for a reason, like you bumping into this guy and then deciding to go traveling. Do you, do you believe in fate? I think so. Yeah. I think you just got to roll with it and yeah. Um, Mm. and just see what happens. Like, but don't pigeonhole yourself and into doing one thing. And if, if things change in your life, then just kind of embrace it and, and just see what the, what's around the corner because it always seems to be a way out if you as you say if you remain positive and just kind of like try different things i guess mm. um i mean for me it's already w- always worked out i mean uh, there's been some lows as well don't get me wrong there's been all sorts of stuff uh that's not been so good over the years um but you know who who couldn't say that so yeah. you just have to sort of take take the rough with the smooth don't you and just play the cards you're dealt I suppose <laughs> so true so true how do you get through those slow points I think everyone has different coping mechanisms don't they but it is hard when like the future is so unknown <laughs> especially in times like this yeah, I, I tend to turn to like narcotics really <laughs> so, yeah yeah no. so at least at very least some booze you know uh, another drink um to get through the hard times I mean that's certainly how I have in the past you know uh but I also like, I mean, I got really into, you wouldn't tell at the moment because I've been on a lockdown for like a year, but I got <laughs> really into exercise as well for like the last five, five, six years doing CrossFit and uh, running and stuff. So that's been in more recent times, that's sort of replaced the crazy kind of, um, mm. you know, uh, narcotics and, and, and doing too much, you know, too much partying. I, I, I've still, still, you know, could hold my own, don't get me wrong, but. <laughs> but not quite the same as in my, in my twenties and, and the exercise thing becomes a bit of a bug and, you know, I'm, I'm itching to be doing some again now really. It's, it's been really difficult. Obviously now I've got a young daughter and then we've also got a seven year old here. We're trying to homeschool, can't go anywhere. 
So at the moment, it's kind of difficult, but that has definitely been something that I've used as a coping mechanism through the harder times, exercise, yeah. and, and and also for confidence as well, because I was quite, I was battled with my weight, you know, like, I think when I came back from Vietnam, I was like 19 and a half stone or something stupid, I was, I was really quite heavy, and uh, dropped down to about 15 within a year um, of coming back and just training and running and stuff, and that made me feel loads better too, mm. and I think, you know, that always helps but it's kind of hard to do that unless you're in a mindset where you're not going to be wanting to just binge drink and eat everything you know yeah so definitely you've got to almost be in a half decent place to, to do that in the first place I find anyway but, mm, yeah. yeah and if you had to pick one sort of highlight from the decade one thing that sticks out to you most what do you reckon it would be I mean the traveling is pretty good I, I think that that just you know just seeing how you know that that half of the world live and and you know i mean i think one of the highlights from that i've always been really scared of like getting on a motorbike ever um i don't know why i think my mum like drilled it into me as a kid that we were really dangerous <laughs> and i should never have one um and so got to vietnam and, and soon realized that actually if i didn't get on a scooter at least i wasn't gonna be able to get anywhere very easily because the taxi drivers are an absolute nightmare and like everybody just everybody moves around on scooters you know so i got onto a scooter um my friend just sort of lent me his and went around the block and it's quite a quiet little neighborhood where the school is that he runs and then i met this these two guys two dutch guys um ruben and rimco and they were like right i'm gonna we're gonna take tomorrow we're gonna take you over the high band pass which is this is like crazy like mountain road and you're gonna see this all this stuff and i was absolutely shitting my pants and uh but did that and like it was just like by the end of the day i was half confident on this bike and it was just like that change my whole traveling experience because after that anywhere i wanted to go i just go on a, on the mm. bike you know and, and it, i've never had that before when i've been on holiday or anywhere else you kind of always feel a bit pigeonholed to you know the little the local bit of where you are as well as you're just like right i'm gonna stick a pin in google maps and like we're gonna go to the top of that mountain today or we're gonna go you know over to this city or whatever so that was probably a highlight of the traveling is just being able to be that free and get about mm. and, and get over that fear of, of getting on a motorbike Adam we're going to go on to play Millennial Minesweeper now um so this is just a little oh, quotes right. game so just a little quotes game we play at the end I'll read you out a few quotes uh they're all sort of about living about life really um and then we just chat about them see if you agree with them or not um so our first one is if you tell someone they can be anything and they turn out to be merely ordinary that's a pretty crushing feeling what do you reckon about that Oh, I don't know. Um, I don't. If I mean, when do you turn out to be ordinary? Like, yeah. what point is, is the end? You know, mm-hmm. like you that, you can't really turn out to be anything until you, until you you die, really, can you? <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. I um, I agree. I think like. I think what it's trying to say is that, you know, the world is so big and there are so many options and you can, you know, someone can tell you, you know, Emma or Adam, you can, you can be anything. And so then, but it all comes down to comparison. And I think what it negates is the fact that like, what does ordinary even mean? And as well, human yeah. beings, we're all so complex anyway. It's all about perception really, isn't it? Like uh, you could perceive yourself well, as being extraordinary. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree with you more that, you know, what is what is ordinary but i guess the way i sort of, sort of took that was that um you had a goal that you wanted to be something you mm. wanted to be and then didn't get there 
Perhaps mm. I don't know. Mm. Um, but yeah, what is what is ordinary? Mm. Yeah, and it's such a negative. Yeah, such negative connotations to it as well. I mean, sure. Yeah. And there's always time, you know. Like I say, unless you're unless you're dead, there's no reason why you can't still achieve your goals. <laughs> I love that. That should have been one of my quotes. <laughs> Unless you're dead. <laughs> um, cool. So our next one is traveling in your twenties will make you a more sensible person. Uh, I wouldn't say it'll make you more sensible, but it definitely give you a better view of the world. Mm. Um, and, and, and it does help you just, you know, I know it's like the cliche, I'll go and find yourself, but like, you know, it almost allowed me to think, right, okay, I've gone and done that now. Maybe I can settle down and do this. So in that sense, I suppose it does, it made me more sensible because mm. I got that bee out of my bonnet, you know, mm. and, and you feel like you've gone and done something. And, although you might want to go and do it again, because I did a few times before I was happy enough to not keep doing that. And to be honest, I still get the bug now. I still feel yeah. like, oh, I wish I could just... <laughs> bugger off for a few months but yeah but maybe i will you know there's nothing to say that i won't do that i'd love to take my kids to do that pull them out of school for a year and go you know because i think that that would do them the world of good and i wouldn't ever be against that yeah definitely actually as someone in uh, you know you work with kids do you think that it's more valuable for a child to have that sort of experience of traveling the world over maybe more generic methods of teaching oh absolutely i mean like you know, I'm not massively uh, a fan of the sort of the school system anyway. I mean, I, I do, I work with a lot of young kids, young people who don't get on with school uh, and we always find stuff that they're really good at, you know, um, and, and we can, you can inspire them and they, they can achieve. But I think the school system just like is basically now, even now so more than ever, is just driven towards academia. And mm-hmm. if you're not an academic, then you kind of pushed out and a lot of the, the more holistic subjects and the sort of, you know, hands-on subjects, they've just been canned really in favour of cramming, you know, English, math, science, technology down your head because that's what the government think that we need for our um, our economy sure. to be. Yeah. It's just like, fuck off, you know, these kids don't are into, into that, mm. um, you know. So, no, I don't think, I, I mean, certainly the young people who I work with who don't necessarily have experience much and, and have sometimes quite interesting views that we have to challenge if they had that experience they would come back as different kids 1000 mm, percent. interesting nice cool so our final quote is imagine how happy you could be if you took joy in the successes of others instead of feeling disheartened that their success is not your own i couldn't agree with that more you know mm. just worry about what you're up to and not everybody else i think mm. far too many people um do that don't they and they're, they're looking in on other people and they care about what other people think or worry about what other people think and like you know there's this whole instagram world where you've got to look a certain way you've got to have certain things you know you've got to live a certain lifestyle and there's so many people i see or i know damn well are fucking depressed and miserable making out that their life is great on social media like because mm. because they feel like they need to sort of keep up with that and yeah, it's a shame, really. And I think yeah. people could just be be honest and and with you know if they're not happy, then they're not happy, and that's fine. And and you know they need to work out what it is that they need to do to make themselves happy. But yeah. they certainly shouldn't be comparing themselves to anybody else. But I do think that makes a lot of people upset and depressed. Mm. Um, and uh, it's a shame, but it's a very difficult one to to combat, isn't it? 
It is, it is. But like, I think what I've been trying to do certainly over the last year is, you know, I, I think it's very easy when someone tells you they've got a promotion or a pay rise that you then completely relate that to your own life and think, oh, but I don't have that and I'll yeah. never have that. Or, um, But I think what's really like an incredible feeling is if you can literally just take the joy that you have for that person of getting what they want and just have it as your own because life is shit enough as it is. Like, why not take those chances to feel happy? And as you said, it like, it is all about comparison. Um and like trying to view those things subjectively instead of letting them impact on your own life. Yeah, sure. So I didn't quite, I understand exactly what you, the question was now. So talking about taking joy from other people's successes. Well, yeah, but it's a similar thing, yeah. isn't it? You know, it's yeah, yeah, sure. No, I, I, yeah. You know, and I, I buzz off that, like, in, and, and, you know, I personally with, you know, the way sort of Shropshire lads kind of come about and, you know, I've had done some quite, cool things recently you know in the last few years and i've got so that it's very noticeable you have some people who are absolutely buzzing for you and then others who are like good friends or whatever they don't necessarily say anything like they, they just don't say anything and you kind of mm. think oh, okay <laughs> you're mm. maybe a little bit jealous or whatever fine i don't know but yeah I, it's 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 nice it certainly feels nice on the receiving end of you know other people being happy for you when you're doing well yeah for sure yeah, definitely. Oh, well, thank you so much, Adam, for coming on the podcast to chat to me. Yeah, no worries. It's been great. Really enjoyed it. Oh, good. I'm glad. And um, yeah, reminisce on the good days <laughs> <laughs> when traveling was a thing. That's it. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll get back to that eventually. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> I hope you guys at home enjoyed this episode. Your continued support and engagement is honestly what keeps this podcast going. So a big thank you from me for all of your kind messages and comments on the series so far. It really does mean a lot. On that note, if you did enjoy this episode, then feel free to leave us a review on iTunes and you can follow us on Instagram at 20 not something as well. This podcast wouldn't sound as slick as it does without our wonderful composer and producer, Pete Haff. So a big shout out to Pete and we'll be back again next week with another brilliant guest. So I'll see you very soon.